We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dick's Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Saturday night against the Los Angeles Lakers, a primetime game on ABC, and we'll see how many primetime players actually play in this matchup on Saturday. Let's start there with the injury report. So the Lakers, two big stars, LeBron James, ever heard of him, and Anthony Davis, uh, both questionable for this matchup. They both missed their last game against the Boston Celtics. I would assume that when you're going to the real garden that you actually want to get up for that matchup. Also within a couple extra days rest and it being Saturday night, uh, I do not think either of them will miss this game, uh, but they are listed as questionable going into this game against the New York Knicks. Jared Vanderbilt, it was actually announced yesterday. In fact, it was announced during this episode. Um, we got the report. Uh, my guest, who you hear in just a second, uh, we got the report that Jared Vanderbilt is out for multiple weeks uh, with a surgery. Maybe not surgery, a foot injury, but he's out for this game, of course. I'll uh, be expected to miss several weeks, but he'll undergo further evaluation. Uh once the Nick always in it, Cam Reddish is out for this game with a right ankle sprain. Gabe Vincent got surgery, if you didn't know. Uh, so he is out for, I believe, eight weeks. So uh, those three players will be missing in this matchup, two of which, between Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt, would have been used in different schemes to try and stop Jalen Brunson, um, who is available for this game as far as I know. Uh, Quentin Grimes has been ruled out for this game with a sprained knee. And then OG Ananobi, this elbow injury. Um, as a baseball fan, I hear elbow injury, I get scared because it usually means like Tommy John surgery. I don't think OG Ananobi is going to be throwing a basketball a hundred times a game. So I'm not that worried, but I'm a little curious why this elbow inflammation injury has now become a week-long thing. Regardless, he's also listed as questionable for this matchup, which should be interesting because the Lakers have the 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 name to them, the the recognition of it's a big game because it's the Lakers, LeBron and AD, of course. Uh, when LeBron and AD are on the court this year, the Lakers are technically outscoring their other team's opponent at plus 1.2 points per 100 possessions. Um, don't necessarily think this is that scary a matchup when you look at the numbers a little deeper. So the Lakers on the season are 25 and 25 
In their last 10 games, they're 5-5. Five and five. On the road this year, they're 8-17. and 17. Against the East this year, they're 7-11. and 11. Overall, they're 21st in offensive rating, 15th in defense. This is a Lakers team that the reputation for defense grew at the beginning of the season, and it was looked at as well. They can't necessarily score, but they have their two big guys, and they'll be able to stop you on that end. No, they're 15th in defense. That's not... It's a very mid defensive team. Uh, They're 20th in net rating, so they're a bottom 10 net rating team. What I will say has gotten better that I remember from the last time the Knicks played the Lakers, this was a bottom 10 three-point shooting team. And since the in-season tournament, the Lakers are 5th in three-point percentage and are up to 14th in three-point percentage overall. The Knicks are 11th, so it's not that far behind. Granted, you know, the Knicks are Precious Achua and a bunch of centers in their rotation at the moment that aren't the greatest shooters. Uh, Josh Hart obviously wants to make a three-pointer before the return of Christ. So uh, as I also hope that happens, but unfortunately, because he's taking some threes on this team, the the, the Knicks three-point shooting has not been the best lately outside of Dante DiVincenzo and Jalen Brunson. I say all of this because this is a Lakers team that is very 500. They're 25 and 25. Could not be more 500 at the moment. So we'll see if the Knicks take care of business. This surging Jalen Brunson. I'm not going to say MVP candidacy, but I mean, the the conversation, if you wanted Jalen Brunson to be looked at as a superstar, this is where I'll plug like the national pods because Ryan Rossillo, Zach Lowe, uh, Kendrick Perkins, Tim Legler, Brian Windhorst, Tim Bontemps, all of them on Friday had a take on the Knicks that all ended with, this is exciting, this is awesome, they're really good, Jalen Brunson's a superstar. Shout out Chris Herring, too, who went out with Zach Lowe and gave the same take. So uh, we'll see if on prime time the Knicks are able to take care of business against the Lakers. Speaking of the Lakers, my episode today is with Tim last name redacted, of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, which is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Tim is the founder of B-Ball Index. I'm sure you've heard of it, or at least heard Nick's Film School peeps reference it over your time listening to this show. Man, Tim knows ball. That's the the very quick elevator pitch that you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, Really breaks down the game from an X's and O's perspective, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. So let's get into it. Tim from the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, previewing the Knicks matchup against the Lakers on Saturday night. Enjoy. We have to welcome a member from the Blue Wire podcast family and a bit of a hero to us basketball nerds, especially those of us with a B-Ball Index account, but also a bit of an international man of mystery, uh, which is why this is an audio only episode today from the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. You know him as Tim, a.k.a. Cranges McBasketball. Tim, welcome to Nick's Film School, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Let's just get this out the way. We'll do the the first question. Is LeBron James getting traded? And is that the most ridiculous question you've heard at the beginning of a podcast ever? I think it, I think it would be. Yeah. Uh, No, he's not getting (laughs) traded. I don't know where that, I mean, I know where it came from. We all know where it came from. (laughs) Um, It hasn't come from anywhere credible. And the people that I've spoken to, the people that others on the Lakers side have spoken to, even Rich Paul himself, have come out and said, no, this is, this is BS. This is not happening. So we can, we can keep this segment of the pod nice and short. He is not going anywhere. And I would imagine if he did, if he was unhappy, it, we would hear more pressure around, oh, maybe at the end of the season, he might want to go a different direction. Or like, I'd expect them to have to like fire the coach first and then try to make a trade and it not work 
before we get to that point. And we are definitely not there yet. But I, I don't know. It's it's certainly got a lot of attention these past 24 hours or so. So I got to be completely honest with you. And this is just the nature. So this dropped yesterday around. We're recording this on Friday around two, three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. This this rumor, this tweet, this report dropped on Thursday evening, right before the basketball slate started for the night. Um, and I, in what uh, my job entails for Nick's film school, I decided to catch a nap right before the games started. So I completely missed it. And someone mentioned it during our post game last night that it was like, oh, so like with the Knicks playing the Lakers this weekend, maybe this is the the first meeting between LeBron and Leon and the mending of fences with clutch. And it's all leading to a LeBron trade. And I laughed it off as like the good humor, not realizing it was referencing something from earlier in the night that uh, this, this obviously had happened and taking over the Twitter world. My, my question really, Tim is, and this is really from an outsider's perspective, which is why I'm glad I have an expert here to talk about the Lakers and the season that's gone on over there is does that speak to uh, dysfunctional doesn't seem like the right word, but to how chaotic things have been since the end season tournament, that something like this could get out or just be sent out and any hint of seriousness could be taken with it. Like what has life been like since the end season tournament for the Lakers and for Lakers fans? Yeah. While this might not be credible, the fact that it got any sort of traction to your point tells us a bit about what's going on in, mm-hmm. in Laker world. And since that in-season tournament, we have seen quite a stretch of play with the Lakers schematically. And that's a big focus of mine. Weren't calling plays with much frequency. And they weren't really... There were big holes in the playbook attacking various coverages. It was not... you know They weren't equipping themselves with the best tools. They had a good number of injuries here and there. And this season, LeBron and AD have actually been really, really healthy. Um, of course, right now, we're not sure what things will look like for this matchup at least at the time of recording, but on the year, they'd been super healthy. And so reaching the point that we reached where this is about a 500 team with healthy Braun and AD, everybody's looking around like, well, how does this happen? Like the the coaching Mm. has to be better or like, where can we point blame? And I've seen blame pointed at the lineups, the five out offense, the, you know, all sorts of different things. Vibes are bad, um, but Lakers fans and Knicks fans may be like this as well. I just don't, I'm not as immersed in it, but you go on a two, three game win streak and it's like, all right, we're back. You go on a two game losing streak, regardless of the context of it. And it's like, oh, the season's over. They need to trade everybody. All of a sudden you're seeing all these little video clips of like, hmm, LeBron gave this guy a hug after a game. Is he trying to you know, get him traded to the team? Or here's a picture of D'Angelo Russell not smiling on the bench. Is he fed up with his role? And it's just like the most agonizing just discussion topics that I as more of a like basketball, basketball person have to like experience, but man, it's, it's not, it's not going great. Um, They, I think had turned some things around since the coaching staff had caught some heat about a dozen games or so ago. They've, you know, been running better lineups for the most part. They have been running better, you know, X's and O's defensively and offensively and had been more healthy and it had resulted, resulted in, better play and more wins. But uh, I don't know, season long at, at, a, at a high level, vibes are bad and people are disappointed and getting to the point where they're angry and 
just really, really not happy with the coaching staff. So then two follow-up questions. And one is going to ha- make you dive into the the drama and the Twitter nonsense of it all. And then one I promise is an X's and O's question because I have to ask you personally uh, what you're seeing out there. So the, the scapegoat of this season, is it Darvin Ham? Is it D'Angelo Russell? Is it somebody else? Could it possibly be LeBron James? Who do Lakers fans direct their ire at the most for what's gone wrong this season? Yeah, it's it's definitely Ham. Uh, and that I think is because like the team's been the stars have been healthy. The record's bad. It must be coaching. And mm-hmm. they the Lakers this year switched from playing more four out one in to more five out, which has been more effective. It was more effective last year, but people like that's a change that happened. It's such a high level thing and there's so much nuance within it, but because that's a change that's happened, they pointed at that and said, that's wrong. Why did you do that? We, you know, we need to go stick a guy in the dunker spot and make sure the defense has a goalie at all times. Um, They've pointed at like the fact that Torian Prince has played as much as he has, which to their credit, he's not a guy that's been like a solidified starter throughout his career. He's mostly been a bench player, a good shooter, an okay defender. This season, he has played with a level of, or, or he's he's gotten minutes at a level of consistency that fans are unhappy with. And it's had a lot to do with the role he fills on the team from a defensive role standpoint, offensive role standpoint. This has been an up and down shooting team. Defensively, Jared Vanderbilt's been very injured. And when he's out there, he, you know, mucks things up from a spacing standpoint. So from my perspective, I get why Prince has played as much as he has. I don't necessarily have as much of a problem with it. I'm not all that happy with the lineups, but in different ways. But uh, if you're looking for a player, it's been mostly like Prince catching people's hatred as an extension of, you know, Darvin Ham is enabling this. But it's it's very much been Ham. D'Lo has been mostly good, has had a downstretch here or there, but he's... He's been a really valuable piece of this team. LeBron's played pretty well, although defensively we're starting to really see drop off from him when it comes to his help defense and his rotating. Like when he's there, he's disruptive. It's just the rate at which he's getting there on that back line is a little bit lower than it used to be. And that matters. And I know he's, I know he's old. I know he's carrying a heavy burden. He's still phenomenal offensively. It almost feels like taboo to talk about his defense on the Lakers side of things. Whenever I do, immediately you get a bunch of hatred towards it, regardless of if it's legit or not. But that is a, you know, a realistic part of what's contributing to the team's success as well. But he's been great big picture. AD's been phenomenal. And I would say even better than LeBron this season. Uh, and so it's been, you know, some role players, some shooting woes, some injury woes and X's and O's that have been a problem. So then when you speak to what they've done differently over the last couple of weeks or just recently in, in some of their improved play um, to the Knicks fan that isn't tuning into every Lakers game, what are they running differently, whether it be some some different play styles or maybe some different lineups um, that we can expect to see in this matchup on Saturday? Yeah, I would say there are, I guess, four major schematic differences that we've seen recently. One is they've had a much better balance of defensive ball screen coverages drop mixed in with some switching mixed in with some hedging of different sorts and blitzing early in the year. It was such a drop heavy scheme and this roster isn't built that way. You don't have great ball screen navigation. Your backup bigs are not drop bigs. Like you don't want Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes and drop. They're just not going to do well there. And we should have known that going into the season, 
And so early in the year, it was like, AD is really good at everything, but these guys suck. And it was more, we're using these spoons as forks and they're not being good forks. And so I think the team has figured that out. They've changed that up more recently and, and that's in a better place. Another thing is running sets at a higher frequency. Um, just in general, if you have you know the option between running an organized set play and just kind of freelancing, just going out there and playing pickup basketball offense, running a set play is going to be better. I, this season and last season, have tracked every half-court possession the Lakers have run. I'm tracking the shot quality they're generating, how they're getting to the shots, what plays they ran, all of that. And I can say with 100% certainty, running plays is good. And <laughs> that is something that like, for a fan, for like me watching the Knicks or a Knicks fan watching the Lakers, if you tune into a random game, it's so hard to ballpark like what percentage of the time they're running stuff. Because there's a big difference between being at 60% and being at 40%. But if you're just casually watching the game, even if you're you know, a hardcore fan, it's really difficult to, to notice that. But that has been something that we've seen a big upswing in. Instead of being in the low 40s, the Lakers have been in the mid to high 50s and even into the 60s more recently. Now, the last three games, that rate has been back into the 40s, and that's bad. But generally, it's been higher more recently. So the defensive scheme, offensive play calling, when they're calling plays, they've been using weak side action much more frequently. So Instead of just a ball screen with guys standing around, it'll be a ball screen. And then on the weak side, we have some sort of flare screen or pin down or some uh, an exit screen or something. And that makes life challenging for help defenders to, you know, it gives them a second job to do. They can't just focus on, you know, when do I tag the role man? They also have to worry about the guy, you know, running out to the corner for a three. Um, so that's been helpful. And we've I have data showing that that's much better than when you don't do that. And then the fourth thing is, the Lakers are a team that will go to the post a lot, whether it's with AD or LeBron, or they'll do some with Rui, they'll do some with Christian Wood. And when they go to the post, they are a team that is facing post help at the third highest rate in the NBA. Defenses are sending double teams, or if they're not, they'll do things like what the Knicks did last game when, when the Lakers played them, where they've got guys at like the elbows and the blocks. And so it's really hard to drive and actually get to the rim when you post up. If you just kind of let that happen. It's bad for the offense. But when you counter it in specific choreographed ways that I've been calling help beaters, you are really effective. And that's actually been the Lakers' most effective form of offense this season. And the rate at which they're engaging in those help beaters has dramatically increased over the past dozen games or so. So those to me are the four like tangible things that have changed, are better, have been better all year long. But the, the frequencies have kind of been fine-tuned and out of place where it should expect us for the team to uh, we should expect the team to perform to perform better. Well, I guess we'll see how much better they perform if they're fully healthy in this matchup against the Knicks on Saturday. I don't know if I'm breaking news to you, but I don't know if you just saw the report from Adrian Wojnarowski that dropped a little over five minutes ago that uh, Jared Vanderbilt is expected to miss several weeks with a right foot injury. I don't know if you have mm -hmm. to go uh, take care of that and re uh, <laughs> react to it on, on social. I know how things are in this industry, but um, I, I guess that leads into my next question about health with the Lakers and specifically to this game. Um, now it's weird because coming off the, Celtics game in which LeBron and AD didn't play and the Lakers performed more than admirably. They, they came away with a victory. Um, what, what what are you thinking coming into this matchup where the Lakers may be shorthanded and will that matter, especially since the Knicks are most likely going to be shorthanded too? 
Yeah, the, the Knicks being shorthanded would be really helpful for the Lakers <laughs> on the on the year. Like that's always great. It's always great. Right, to, right. <laughs> Usually is helpful when the other team is shorthanded. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it's this way for every single team. But when the Lakers are healthy, they play better. When the Lakers mm-hmm. are rested, they play better. When they're healthy and not on the second night of a back to back, they play better. And this is something I've taken a look at. If you look at games where the Lakers aren't on the second night of a back to back, and also they are missing fewer than three of their like top 10 rotation players due to injury. They've won like 63% of their games. Um, and that's pretty good. And I'm sure most teams play better when, when they're healthy. When either of those things aren't the case, when they're on the second night of a back-to-back, or they're missing three or more rotation players, as it looks like they will be for this game and they were for Boston, they've only won a third of those games on the season. And so it's, it's a very different team. The team is down. Gabe Vincent, who has been out for most of the year, but I'm, I'm counting him because he, he w- was like the sixth man for this team. Uh, they'll be down Vanderbilt, and it looks like they'll be down Cam Radish. We'll see for him. Um, and that's even if everybody else plays. And in those situations, like this is a, it's a worse basketball team. And they will you know, have to overcome that as they did against Boston. And it just there's, there's very little margin for error. But... Yeah, that's you did break that news to me. Um, <laughs> Vando's definitely been a polarizing figure. He's been such a good defender, but is an is a player that like you. He has such glaring weaknesses, but then also glaring strengths in the role that you have him in can really dictate whether or not you get awesome or poor performance from him. And he's been playing so well off the bench in lineups that he's the only non-shooter. So you can like let him be the screen and roll guy without having to stick AD in the corner and, and just watch plays or vice versa, which isn't good. Um, and then defensively, he's been in these like wingy lineups that can switch and edge. And he, like it's been such a good fit for him. He's played so well and it's resulted in people wanting him to start. And I'm not aligned to that because I think if you start him, you immediately take him out of those specific schemes and roles that allow him to play so well. And we have plenty of evidence going back to last year and this year that when he's out there, LeBron and AD become more of like jump shooters. They can't get to the rim as well. You know, AD and Vando aren't getting rolls as often. Like Vando's short roll playmaking isn't a thing. Um, so it's just not a good fit. But yeah, that uh, him starting was something that we were expecting to see last game if LeBron and AD were playing. Now that Vando's injured, we're not going to see that starting group for weeks at this point. And so the Lakers need to find another internal option to pivot to to uh, make things work. Because to me, the the D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Torian Prince, LeBron James, Anthony Davis grouping, offensively, it's good. But defensively, you're in trouble with that team. So I, I think they really need to break up the D'Lo and Reeves pairing and add someone else in there that can play a little bit more defense, whether it's Cam Reddish if he's healthy, Gabe Vincent if he's healthy, neither of them are. Um, or I think Max Christie, who's who's a sophomore, but has shown some promise, would be someone that's that's worth considering as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you bring up the defense, and I think this is where I need to just ask a Lakers expert about Austin Reeves because I I see the efficiency numbers. I see when I've watched the Lakers, I see how um, just how good he is offensively. And obviously the, the Celtics game the other night was a perfect example of that. I also watched a little bit of FIBA because the Knicks had two, had two players on the FIBA team this summer. And then you started to see how teams targeted Reeves a ton. And the Knicks game plan the last time these two teams played uh, out in LA was very much just get him in pick and roll and let, you know, so the Knicks better isolation players try to cook. And actually, I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent effective. I actually thought Reeves like held his own, especially in crunch time down the stretch. And the Knicks were more playing to, to hold on at the end of the game. What do I, from your perspective, what should I make of just his poor defensive metrics? Regardless of what site you go to, he's toward the bottom. Is it that much of a liability that you don't ever see him as like a high level starter and he's always going to have to be uh, paired with better defenders around him so that way you can hide him on, on that side of the floor? Or do you see that there's like been a hint of improvement on, and as far as the eye test is concerned, that the numbers aren't showing? I've seen that's a really good question and he's an important player for this team last year he was in those lineups along with D'Lo and played fine and what you know the Lakers were able to be strong defensively despite neither of those two guys being like studs on defense D'Lo certainly isn't Austin last year and in the past had been more of a an off ball offensive player and was able to focus more of his energy and more of that energy bar towards defense and had been good. He had, he had held his own. I think he was underrated to a degree. He was someone that was really good at staying in front. And, you know, if you're going to get a shot off against him, it's going to be contested. He's going to have a hand up. He's not the longest guy in the world. He's not a very disruptive defender. He's not, you know, getting a bunch of deflections or steals. And so from a defensive playmaking standpoint, he's been weak. But just in terms of like suppressing opportunities and when they're there contesting them, he'd done a really good job. This year, because he's taken on such more offensive responsibility, I think that energy bar has shifted focus a bit towards the offensive end of the court. And when you know he's out there with D'Lo and he's needing to defend at the point of attack, that's a problem. It's, mm. it's been... I don't think he's as bad as some of the impact metrics are, are saying he is. I think he's certainly been like below average. Um, I was able to get my hands on some of the second spectrum data on like his isolation defense. And something that stood out to me was like, he's allowing better shots than he did last year. They're not like all that great of shots. It's not offense. That's at a level where like, I'm super concerned, but the difference between the shot quality he's allowed and the actual efficiency against him was pretty large. There's a pretty big gap. And that's something that year to year for good defenders, bad defenders, everybody in between that just fluctuates. That's just some randomness. That's some luck. I would expect that gap to close a bit as the year progresses. Um, and we already have started to see that happen. But the fact that, you know, watching the games, you are seeing him targeted. That is a real thing that's happening. And for the most part, he's doing like a decent job or a good enough job that 
you know, I'm not like, oh, this guy needs to be off the floor, but the shots are going in at such a high rate against him, or they have that I think it's easy to have that perception and the impact metrics are seeing he's being scored on um, in a way that like, I think has deflated his value a little bit too far in the wrong direction. Like I'd say at this point, he's probably a below average to average defender. Um, he needs to be in the right schemes. He needs to be in the right lineups. I don't want to have him and D'Lo out there together, but if it's like him, uh, Reddish, Prince, LeBron AD, like I feel fine about that group's defense or him, Christie, uh, Vando, Bron AD or whatever. Like th- those are fine groups defensively. I think it's just a matter of he's, and we see this with guys all, all the time. They've got to do more on offense. So they've got less of that tenacity on defense and that plus that unsustainable shot making against him. And the fact that we're seeing him targeted, you know, is creating that reality and that perception that goes a little bit beyond reality to me. Well, that's where I'm, I'm honestly most curious about this matchup on, on Saturday. And I, I mean, this is just something the Knicks have consistently done when there's at least the last two years since Jalen Brunson got here is the moment that it becomes evident that there's a weak target. Like the Miami Heat series in particular, um, the difficult part about Jalen Brunson getting his buckets was that during the regular season, the way he did was where's Tyler Hero? And then mm-hmm. Tyler Hero wasn't available for that series last year. And they had to pick different, like different guys for him to go after, which was honestly the most impressive part about him averaging 30 in that series was his like their their weakest defender was I mean, they had Duncan on the floor a ton, but like he was going at Struce, he was going at Jimmy, um, and he was just like hitting that the mid-range before he got to Bam. Um, I know the Knicks are gonna try to isolate. Austin a ton in this match, but I guess D'Lo as well if they're on the court together. How do you see this matchup playing out? Let's play it out that LeBron and AD don't play, but from a defensive standpoint of guarding of guarding Jalen Brunson, because there's no Randall, I have no idea if OG Ananobi is going to play. This has become the weirdest elbow injury that was day to day. That's now maybe become a full week long injury that I've ever seen. But the fact that the Knicks really only have one creator is that like, how do you see the Lakers defending Jalen Brunson in this matchup? Yeah, good question. Last game, the Lakers, from a pick and roll defense standpoint, they hedged and blitzed at a really high rate, and they tried to avoid giving up those switches in the mismatches. And I mean, at the end of the day, ended up you know on on top, I believe, right? And uh, or did they end up losing that game? I remember they were close. Uh, talking about the last Knicks Lakers game or the na- the last game the Lakers played? The last Knicks Lakers game. Oh, the Knicks won. The Knicks ended up okay, winning. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the defensive rating for the Lakers was pretty strong in that game. And it was the fourth highest rate of hedging and blitzing on the season. If you look at the top seven games, the Lakers have deployed that style of defense. They've given up an average defensive rating of 112, which is phenomenal. Um, I expect them to do something like that in this matchup, regardless of if AD plays or not, because it'll prevent putting these not stellar ball screen navigators in situations where they need to fight around screens and drop coverage. It'll prevent putting wood and haze in drop coverage and it'll prevent, you know, switching and allowing New York to just kind of pick mismatches and there are a way to force switches, but they'll, they'll likely try to deploy a similar style of defense and, you know, hope the offense plays better this game around and, and can win this matchup. But the defense, I think for the Lakers looking at that last matchup, they're probably pleased with what they did. Now, from an ISO standpoint, that's what worries me a bit more because 
Reddish is out. Vando's out. You're going to have D'Lo and Austin needing to play a ton offensively. Um, we'll, we'll see if LeBron may be play or not, but those will be guys that they can try to isolate against. And the Lakers are one of the lowest uh, help frequency teams in the NBA in terms of you know supporting isolation defenders, which can make those guys look even worse. I think this is something that we see teams do such a good job with that, like in the playoffs, like Golden State, Denver, like Steph Curry, Jamal Murray, they're not fantastic ISO defenders, but when they do such a good job with help defense, it makes it really tricky to try to pick on certain guys. And the Lakers haven't done that this year. So I think they'll likely try to play the matchup game and try to put either Max Christie or, oh my God, they're probably going to put like Torian Prince on him. And I don't like that. It's something that they've done. And when they stick him on the point of attack, and then you've got like Austin defending threes, like it's just not a good situation. So I don't expect good answers from the Lakers in this regard because it hasn't <laughs> been an area of strength for them this season. Uh, the fact that they don't have Reddish and Vando available or Gabe Vincent available, oh man, I am hoping for a lot of Max Christie time and some hedging and a mix of those things to try to minimize the impact of Brunson going to work against these Lakers guards. I mean, I'll just say this, like I may be sounding like a homer here, but there have been very few defenses that have worked against Brunson this season. And that I think is the, the thing we're hoping in, in Nick's land that this, this run that he's on at the moment of just his footwork at the moment, he's able to like the best of defenders, get them off balance. And, you know, you don't know if it's going to be a fadeaway or if it's going to stop and start or whether he's going to somehow go up and under. And it's, it's like a, actually a pleasure to watch him, like the craft of, of how he's doing at the moment. So I'm, I'm curious to see if the Lakers don't have their best defenders. I'm, I'm really curious about the AD of it all, because if AD mm-hmm. plays, that's a legitimate like, okay, that's the, there's a height difference there that Brunson's yeah. going to have to go up against. And there's the the Julius Randle of all because he's gone and there's really no other no other person to create gravity or advantages. Are you able still to to let Brunson have the room to to try and cook, you know? So I yeah. I mean your best guess is are AD and LeBron playing in this game? If I had to guess, I would say so. Okay. I, I LeBron's absence last game was like kind of a one-off. It it wasn't something that had been ongoing. I would expect it was more of a, a maintenance thing and he'll be back. AD, I think he has more of a real injury, but I would also hope that, that they would have him back. I know this is, I think, the toughest game left on the schedule for the Lakers this season. If you look at like the uh, NBA calendar or positive residual free tool, he's got a cool app. Um, this is the toughest game left. Uh, after this game, the Lakers have a pretty mediocre strength of schedule. Uh, but if they can win this one, it would be, it would be pretty big for the team's confidence. So if they can go, I think they're going to try to go. And on the, on the note of size, the one other route we might see is if the Lakers try to, if AD and LeBron are playing also play bigger and have Rui Hachimura or Christian Wood in that starting group and have just a ton of size out there. And you're going to sacrifice some ball handling and creation on offense, but Maybe they'll go to big groups that are going to be very switchy and just know even if we give up a switch and we've got LeBron or Wood or Rui on Brunson on the perimeter, we will have more rim protection behind them in case he he is able to get by that first line guy. So that could be another approach that we see from them that might have some viability, but you're right. Like If you're a Knicks fan, I would be feeling good going into this matchup thinking the Lakers don't have great options to slow Brunson down. 
unless the hedging is really able to disrupt things. And on those, you know, pass outs, the other Knicks players aren't able to take advantage of any sort of advantages that are created by drawing two to the ball with ball screen. Yeah. Well, they, I will say in the, in the world post Julius Randall injury, there's these past three games, they've done a good job of countering when, when he's been blitzed or when they bring two to the ball. Like as soon as he crosses over half court, it's honestly reminiscent of what the Lakers did to Halliburton in that in season tournament championship game. And they've just been really good at, okay, this first pass initiates multiple passes that either lead to an open shot or a layup. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious against what I deem a good, def- a good defensive team, uh, at least a smart defensive team. Um, if AD and LeBron play what they'll end up doing um, one transactional question. And it's simply who's the player. Who's the guy that is it DeJounte Murray is it Zach Levine. Who's the guy that the Lakers fans want the most uh, at this upcoming deadline. I think we've reached a point where both fans and the team are most interested in DeJounte Murray. He, I think the context would be fear from the Lakers that Dela will opt out of his contract at the end of the season, won't be back next year, and they'll have trouble creating value with that hole, uh, just with where they are in, in their cap sheet. And so moving Dela, bringing another guy in that is a better point of attack defender immediately fixes some slotting issues from a defensive role standpoint. It would be a big downgrade from a playmaking standpoint. I personally am very skeptical of the three-point shooting that DeJounte mm. Murray has, you know, randomly found. Uh, he, I know his percent, his raw percentage has been increasing over time, but it's gone from like an F to an F to an F to an F to like an A minus this year. And I'm, I worry about that continuing because if that doesn't continue, his value offensively isn't great, but defensively, he would certainly be a, a step forward. I know he's not the same caliber of defender he used to be, but it would be a, a big upgrade for the Lakers. So I think in their world, it would be something like D'Lo, Jalen Huchifino, who they drafted, and I it was not a very good pick. He's, he's more of a long-term traits guy rather than he was good at basketball in college. We think he'll be good in the NBA. Um, but it would probably be D'Lo, him, and maybe a first-round pick is what they'd be looking to move. But Atlanta at this point is wanting Austin Reeves, as they should, and the Lakers are not willing to move Reeves. I do not think they will move Reeves for DeJounte. And so I don't expect it to get done. But if they make a move, I think that's the one that everyone's keeping an eye on because we are all viewing it as the fix for the defense and then offensively hope and pray that he can keep hitting his threes. And, you know, he should be fine along with the playmaking that Reeves and LeBron have. And the fact that AD in the post has been much more of a facilitator recently with how the this scheme has changed and running more of those self beaters. I only ask this because Knicks fans get this a ton when you say, like, does this draft pick hurt more because of who was next? Like, I, Kevin Knox gets brought up all the time. And honestly, I bring up Kevin Knox a ton because the picks after were Mikael Bridges, uh, SGA, Michael Porter Jr. Honestly, both Bridges were were after Kevin Knox. But does the Hood Shafino pick hurt more because it's Jaime Hawkins Jr., Podzinski, and uh, Cam Whitmore after? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and okay. like I was we were doing a playback stream live. I was in there on you know live saying I don't know why Whitmore has fallen. Clearly the teams know something that we don't know publicly. From a talent standpoint, he flashed why he was a top 5 top 10 pick. So if you, you know, I don't know what the medicals look like. I don't know what the the off the court stuff looks like, but that is a better player and a better bet than JHS. And if you're looking for a good basketball player, 
Jaime Jaquez was a top four player in our LeBron impact metric in, in all of college basketball last season yeah. and was a very clear fit. And like, he was the guy I was wanting. It was one of those two. I, to be completely honest with you, didn't know all that much about pods, but yeah, it definitely hurts a lot. It's from what I'm hearing, the pick was more of a Rob Polinka pick than a uh, scouting department pick. And I don't know if that is being thrown out there as a way to try to wash their hands of it um, or if that's truly what happened. But either way, it is not a pick that has like he's just not an NBA ready player. He was an average caliber impact Big Ten rotation player last year. And that's like for for how tough it is to uh, like transition as a point guard to the NBA from college. Like there's there's just no shot. That's a dead on arrival approach if you're hoping for like year one impact. So it yeah, man, it, it hurts a lot. <laughs> We're short on time, so I can't fully get into this, but I'd be curious to discuss with you one day, like the differences in having an, in a former agent run your team, because obviously we got Leon Rose in New York and then the Rob Palenka of it all. Like, I know that there is an advantage because of the relationships that are created over the years. I just don't know how much of an advantage that is. I know CAA, quote unquote, runs the Knicks, but like the and it's honestly been beneficial but i let, let's file that away for the next time you're here that i ask that question because i'm very curious to see how our different our experiences are what's up knicks fans quick break to tell you about our new sponsor prize picks not only are they the largest daily fantasy sports platform in north america but they're also the easiest and most exciting way to play instead of battling thousands of other players including pros and sharks it's just you against the numbers picking more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection with the nba season more than midway through and the nfl season with just three games left now is as good a time as any to pick combo projections across sports from the specials league for example on any given night take jalen brunson over in points julius randall over in rebounds or og ananobi over in steals then combine it with two nfl props like patrick mahomes over in passing yards or christian mccaffrey over in touchdowns prize picks is a really simple way to play prize picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like on taco tuesday each tuesday prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25 percent to provide even more value prize picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account all basketball season. You know what to do. Go to prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. Last thing I want to ask you, I had hinted at the the Mount Rushmore of rivals. We'll do a little little fun exercise before we wrap up. I ask everybody this before we before they when they come on our show. Um, NBA calendar gets released. You have the four teams that you look forward to playing the most, whether it be a rival from from the the old that you that you've always looked forward to when the Lakers get to play them, or whether it's a new. Uh, manufactured rival like for the Knicks this Atlanta and this Cleveland rivalry has happened and then for me personally Indiana and Miami will always be one and two so for you personally Tim who are your Mount Rushmore of Lakers rivals all right so this is I think there's a clear top three and Mm -hmm. I think if you're like an older person maybe this is a little trickier but for me like Celtics number one uh can I swear here yeah, of course. Yeah, fuck, fuck Boston. Fuck um, Boston. And fuck this Boston. is like this is a New York pod too, so we co-signed <laughs> fuck Boston. Perfect. Yeah, screw those guys. I, I mm-hmm. hate them. Uh, never been a fan. 
I didn't mind. Like I liked the Isaiah Thomas team, to be honest, like he was a lot of fun, but before and after not a fan of what they've got going on. Um, yeah. Fuck Boston. So they're number one Clippers, number two. And I think if you would have asked this like a decade ago, they would be lower on the list, but they have earned the respect. Uh, like, and, and I don't know how many Laker fans will admit this, but like, they've kind of earned that respect recently because they've gone like 15 and two or something absurd against the Lakers mm-hmm. in regular season matchups over the past handful of seasons. So that is a, you know, same city, two teams that are run very differently in terms of, you know, the, the spotlights versus the street lights was like the campaign that the Clippers were pushing, but like it's the mom, mom and pop shop Lakers against the corporate Clippers. Um, and so in a lot of different ways, culturally and just on the court and just from a proximity standpoint, those teams don't like each other. The fans don't like each other. Thankfully, there aren't many Clippers fans because they, they suck. But um, <laughs> we'll we'll see how that goes. Now, the Warriors are my number three and they have been able to, you know, convert and and kind of earn some fans within the same state that probably otherwise would have grown up Lakers fans because of their run of success, uh, you know, not too long ago. There's the LeBron versus Steph thing that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not like a LeBron fan. Like I'm a Lakers fan, but there's a not small percentage of Lakers fandom that is following LeBron around and will be gone when he moves, if he moves. Um, and so that's, I guess, a component of this. But same division, same conference, same state. We've seen them play in the playoffs. We've seen them play in the play in. You've got the LeBron uh, Steph thing. And so they're very insufferable and not a fun fan base to interact with online. Uh, Hate them. So those are the top three for me. Then I'd say there's a drop off. And at this point, you could go Spurs. You could go Sun. You can go a lot of different ways. Um, Some people might even say Philly. For me, to me, this season, I was looking at those Denver games because Mm. of how that last matchup went how you know the lakers when they won their title they played denver in the playoffs and won in six games um that is i don't know that's one that that i certainly was circling the suns i have a disdain for but they've had such so much roster turnover that like the the mikhail bridges campaign some of the guys that were like clowning the lakers when ad got injured and then they were able to uh take over in the what was it 2020 122 playoff series like that that rubbed me the wrong way but a lot of those guys aren't there anymore um so i it's a debate for me at four but i think the top three is clear so two follow-ups first of all the the clippers of it all the you know what this sounds like it's like if the if the katie Kyrie harden thing worked in in new york and like the knicks had this ragtag team with julius randall and you know, Alfred Payton starting a point guard and RJ Barrett. And you had this corporate team in Brooklyn that nobody cared about, but mm-hmm. it does sound like there are more Clippers I, I, from the Clippers fans. I've talked to on this podcast. It does sound like the, the percentage is even if it's like 5% more because 5% is more than zero. Um, there are more Clippers <laughs> fans than there are Nets fans uh-huh. in New York. Um, and then look, the, 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 the Warriors thing is interesting. Cause you, you mentioned the LeBron versus Steph. So, I had Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation on um, last time. And I think I had him on last year too. And he said something fascinating about LeBron as a Laker and how Laker fans have uh, embraced him. And if they have, and it was that the only issue LeBron will ever 
have with Lakers fans, and it's something he's never going to be able to overcome, is that he's not Kobe. That's just like it, it. It's this thing he's never going to be able to get over. He can be LeBron. He can be his personal greatness. But like, how much has that has that crossed over the Lakers fans versus LeBron's fans? Like, have they joined forces enough that there isn't a conflict there, or is he still kind of facing that with this this the same diehard Lakers fan? I wouldn't say that there's any sort of like civil war, but there are certainly uh, some some conflicts that are ongoing and will continue to, to happen right. among people who are very hard, you know, one way or the other. For me at my age, Kobe was my guy growing up and, and someone that like inspired me on, you know, from a basketball standpoint and how he approached the game and all the Mamba mentality, all that. So he holds a special place in my heart. But I'm 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 certainly happy to have LeBron James on my team. I rooted against LeBron before he came to the Lakers. Um, <laughs> but now that he's here, great, love to have him. He's been phenomenal. He's done such great things, um, and and so I don't have that issue. But there are definitely folks who do look at it that way, and I do think in terms of just how he stands within the Lakers Mount uh, Mount Rushmore, that is an element and. Just the like Kobe was here from start to finish piece of it is going to probably keep him ahead of LeBron in most people's eyes, regardless of the on-court performance. And I think you can probably say that where LeBron is in his career now, it, it makes it more tricky. Like if LeBron were here at his peak, you you know it it probably lean more his way. But um, yeah, Co- Kobe Kobe's my number one, but I'm happy to have them both. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. My assumption is that this is measured in championships. Like because LeBron only has one with the Lakers, that's why he'll never even have a chance to approach what Kobe is to to you and to the other lifelong Lakers fans. Had he come here and AD had come like the next year and like a three-peat happened, then you'd at least be like, all right, he came here and brought a a, a version of a Lakers dynasty here. And then you add on the the career success, he could have potentially approached it. I guess like the way I see it, it potentially working out or, or playing out is like if you and like a LeBron fan were both celebrating a Lakers win and it's like, oh, that was great. And then the the second the LeBron fan goes, yeah, he's the goat. It's when the conflict starts. It's like, oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. We, we were celebrating the Lakers. We didn't have to get into that argument. Yeah, I personally, I don't, I don't care all that much about that stuff. Like the, the, the you're LeBron better off for Kobe, it. You're much better LeBron off for it. Yeah, like the rings thing. Like I'm with you. I think it makes sense. Like what Kobe did for the franchise greater than what LeBron has done and will be able to do for the franchise. And I just, at the point is where he is in his career, I don't see that changing. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I try to stay away from that. Cause I think it, it devolves really quickly into nasty, nasty discussion that I, I don't know. I'd rather go rewatch defensive clips of, of the ball screen defense or things like that mm. than argue with people about ranks. Yeah, it's why you're a legend in this space, Tim. It's why we appreciate, <laughs> appreciate the work it. that you do and the fact that we can get away from some of the narrative conversations and it's much more X's and O's. Uh, and I appreciated you making time for me and making this conversation today. Before you get out of here, please let the fine folks at home know where they can find you and all of your stuff. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, so you can find me on Twitter if you're looking for... I know my podcast is called Lakers Exceptionalism, but we probably shouldn't have named it that because... I think we're more grounded than most <laughs> and try to keep it to the, the X's and O's, the, you know, not too high, not too low, like stick to reality, leverage data. 
and smartly analyze what's going on, you know, criticize and praise where appropriate, not because we've got favorites and, and you know, guys we don't like. Uh, but if you're interested in following, you know, give it a try on Twitter, Tim underscore MBA, or if you just look up Francis McBasketball, I'll be there. You can find uh, Basketball Index. If you, if you take a look at that, we've got a lot of great resources that if you are just a fan or you're a writer or a podcaster or you, you know, are in a front office for a team, whatever, or you're an agent, come on over. We've got stuff for you. Uh, five bucks a month for a subscription or you can get cheaper uh, amounts if you go for a year. Um, so much data in there to analyze teams and players. And you don't have to... You know, We've got hundreds and hundreds of stats. There's no way to remember what's a good number and a bad number. So we use letter grades, we use percentiles, we use color coding and things to help make it easy for anyone to go in and see what their you know favorite player is good or bad at. Or when the Lakers are playing the Knicks, I go in there and I go see what the Knicks are good or bad at. I can go see, oh, wow, they have you know their top 10 in impact depth with one through eight, or they're the only top six team in rim shot making and three point shot making when you adjust for a degree of difficulty in the league or little things like that. And so if you're interested in, you know, diving into the game at a deeper level, check out Basketball Index. You can follow them on Twitter. You can go uh, to the website, try out the subscription and give that a look. We've got a podcast with that as well. If you're interested in hearing more on the data side, I am not going to plug my podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you won't care about that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, that's all my stuff. Thanks again for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, let's go Lakers. But um, I, I'm expecting the next to win this game. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll start here and say that as a as a fellow Blue Wire podcaster, I do recommend the Lakers Except- Exceptionalism podcast. Uh, as someone whose company uh, is a subscriber of your uh, of B-Ball Index and whose staff utilizes B-Ball Index every day, I recommend it for anybody that wants to dive deeper into what uh, their favorite team's players or just any players are good at. And uh, Tim, this was great. And I I wish you the best of luck, except on Saturday night. Fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's, uh, let's just root for two healthy teams, ideally. Well, but, as uh, healthy as possible. Obviously, Julius Randle won't be back anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. But yes, two healthy, two healthy teams on the court on Saturday. I'll take it. Once again, a big thank you to Tim for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, which is available on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Take care of our friends. That's all I ask is go give them a five-star rating. Say you loved their time on the Knicks Film School Podcast. You loved Tim. That You love Basketball Index or B-Ball Index to be specific. If you want to just at him when the tweet is sent out, uh, that goes a long way too. Just say, hey, you, I, I enjoyed your your appearance with, with Claudio on the Knicks Film School Podcast. I'd appreciate it. I know that Tim would appreciate it too. As far as I'm concerned, I'll be back on Tuesday morning to preview the Knicks matchup against the Grizzlies as currently planned. Um, one last time, the our watch party in the city tonight. And when I say the city, I mean New York City. I actually had someone joke around with me. Like you said, in the city. What do you mean by the city? Uh, I'm assuming that you don't think we're going to to Trenton or to Newark or to Philly for this, this watch party, that we're not going to Vegas uh, or Los Angeles, for that matter, for this watch party. Uh, we will be in New York City at 7 East 42nd Street uh, in Midtown, which is, again, a, a hop, skip, and a jump from... Uh, I guess a hop, skip, and a jump is technically referenced to like a long distance, right? I don't know. It's been a while since I've actually been at a place that was a hop, skip, and a jump, which was usually down south where it was like 
a long distance. Regardless, it's right on 42nd Street next to Grand Central Station, uh, or down the block, I should say, from Grand Central Station. Um, T-squared social. I, I cannot wait for so many of you to, to, first of all, to see so many of you and then for all of you to experience this this venue. Um, we'll be in the duck pin bowling area at 630. We'll, we'll hang out there. We'll chill. We'll uh, discuss Knicks. We'll, we'll do whatever you want for two hours. And then at 830, we'll go to a VIP viewing area. I should add, they're giving away four tickets to their big game event next Sunday. Obviously, you have no idea what big game I'm referring to, but if there's a big game next Sunday that you'd like to to go and attend uh, at least a watch party for uh, T squared is giving away uh, four tickets to that. This is again, a prime time viewing area. So it might actually be a fun time that you could take advantage of it. And rumor has it, I gotta confirm this when we get there tonight, but they'll also be giving tickets to the game on Tuesday against the Grizzlies. The next, they will be giving away two tickets to a Knicks game on Tuesday. I repeat two tickets to a Knicks game on Tuesday against the Grizzlies. So many reasons for you to come to this watch party. Uh, most importantly, so you can hang out with all of us because we want to see so many of you there. Again, it's 6.30 Saturday night. Uh, T-squared social in Midtown. Be there. And last but not least, it's a bit of a programming note. Um, if you missed it from one of the last episodes, uh, we will have a post-game show on Saturday night. And it will be hosted live on our YouTube channel. By John Schmilk, used to be at WFAN, had a Knicks podcast called The Bank Shot, and now he's over at the New York Giants radio. A good friend of the pod and knows his Knicks. He will be filling in for John, for all of the KFS crew while we're at our watch party. So please go and support John on Saturday night, along with APJP on the ones and twos. And until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Hope to see as many of you at T-Squared as possible, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com